0: Let me do some introductions very quickly. Uh, Nick, Merlin is uh, the uh, co-host of the uh, Top Scallops uh, podcast where we talk about Top Chef every week. Uh, Merlin is an internet personality known for his uh, uh, he's a productivity guru, known for his life hacks. <laughs> I hate you so much uh and uh nick is a uh restaurateur i think nick is nick be... is nick i know nick well our audience doesn't necessarily know nick i think tell if, people if... about nick max this is this is kind of a big deal you're playing I know it's a big started we've started oh we're is in we're,
1: we're in all it. the way oh, okay, in baby. got we're, we're doing wow. it uh, thanks for the heads up there. we just <laughs> eased right in there
0: yeah uh so nick is i think on top chef you'd be introduced as restaurateur nick kakonis uh you are the owner I, I go co-owner, co-owner because co-owner? Grant and
2: I are, are equal partners in all of our endeavors. Uh, so. so the
0: the co-owner and partner with uh, Chef uh, Grant Ackets of uh, Alinea and Next and the Aviary and some forthcoming projects. Dune to be
2: Royster as well, about a month away, hopefully.
0: Um, but these are, for our listeners who may not have uh, heard of these names, these are widely regarded to be, uh, uh, Alinea, I would say, is pretty widely regarded to be the best restaurant in the country and certainly one of the best restaurants in the world. Uh, and uh just to give a a little explanation of next so uh, and also the reason that it's really cool that uh you came to talk about um uh restaurant wars with us so the concept of next is that you guys flip the menu three times a year and it's a total reconstruction and and rethinking of like what the whole restaurant is
2: yeah yeah for us the the lo- like we started building it when we could s- describe it as in one sentence we always try to do that and and for Next it was the exploration of world cuisine. And so every four months we, we pick a, a theme. We started out by date and time, Paris 1906. Uh, who doesn't want to time travel back and try to eat something from Paris back then? And then we've gone more conceptual sometimes with things like childhood and we're doing the Alps right now, like a trip through the Alps.
0: For, uh, for any of our listeners who are in Chicago or thinking about coming to Chicago, uh, I recently had the Alps dinner. Uh, it was my uh, birthday dinner this year, one of the best meals I've ever had. It was extremely memorable and really fun and playful and uh, just just great winter food, just just a wonderful experience. Uh, so definitely uh, definitely do that. And when you go, uh, you will buy tickets to Next, which is, I think, one of your great innovations in the world of restaurants. And the ticket system is now sort of another project that you're doing called Talk.
2: Yeah, so we we uh Brian Fitzpatrick uh quit Google about a year and a half ago. We have about twenty employees now and about seventy restaurants around the world from San Francisco to Melbourne, Australia, using a new system that will hopefully uh someday be uh the new, better, kinder, gentler open table.
1: if there's time later, I'd love to talk about that. I'm I'm fascinated by what you're doing with that. Well, I can we can we can we can do that let's do it that, that seems like uh, I was just um, I was just uh, googling you in a real creepy way on the internet Nick it sounds like your your background was a, a lot in uh, investment and and certain kinds of trading like you have a business background right
2: well, yeah, it was a philosophy major though in college, and I don't know I'm just got a, two
0: two employed uh, philosophy majors sitting <laughs> next to right, each other right. at the table here yeah like, are you like, are t- you
2: technically employed I don't think you're technically employed well, are, are, what, you? are you technically employed? i don't think I'm technically employed oh, okay. either right I'm okay, really. Ca- well. Then, then we have in that case we're doing things. In that case, we're the
0: uh, this is uh, the Marco Rubio uh, his worst nightmare. You have two unemployed philosophy majors sitting on this podcast. You Um, guys represent
1: about uh, fifty percent of the total number of employed philosophy majors. We (laughs) we are dragging,
0: (laughs) we are
2: dragging up. Actually, you know what's really? I mean, this is way into the weeds, off topic. But um, we, if you look at the top liberal arts major ten years out by pay scale, and it is philosophy. And that's an actual. That's from Forbes magazine, which is weird.
1: A lot of lot of philosophy majors I know uh, went into law.
2: Yeah, a lot of people go into law. A lot of people go into business. Um, A lot of people go into trading. Actually, I know three big trading firms that are all run by philosophy majors because it's logic. You know, it's like it's programming too. It's a lot of programming.
1: So that's a. It's one of those things where I'm so interested in this stuff. Is you know how you end up getting an interest in something because you go, oh, like uh, Heidegger seems cool, but you know you don't get and stay in an area of concentration like that in particular, unless you really like to read and really like to think and really like to read some more.
0: I mean, above all, you just, you've got to be such a reader.
2: Yes. Yeah. You,
0: for For me, I, I really learned to appreciate like the, an argument as we like, just
2: lost any listeners that were going to yeah. listen to the top chef. They're long gone. Okay, was, good. Like, I no know. I, ever, no all the pressure to is this. off now. Yeah. I could talk shit about, the uh, about the magical elves. Um, oh, pro- the, uh, or, the, uh, yeah, the production, production company. Team, yeah. yeah. Oh Yeah.
0: Uh, but, uh, I, for me, it was like, I, what I love about philosophy is like, I, f- I really appreciate an argument, uh, in terms of like, not whether I agree with it or not, which is you kind of very quickly learn not to fall into that trap, but just like whether it's full of shit or not. Uh, and I, and I really have found that to be a great tool of like pretty quickly sussing out, you know, if, if something is like internally consistent and logical and, and makes sense.
2: Yeah. And how does that not work anywhere, whatever you do?
0: Exactly. Perhaps that's a good segue to uh, turn our attention to uh, Top Chef. So, Nick, have you you've not you're not a Top Chef viewer? I am. I'm not a Top Chef viewer. I have,
2: previous to watching this episode, probably watched five to eight. Um, usually, you know, episodes over the last however many years it's been on, probably, um, the ones that Grant was on and a couple others where I knew somebody. Like, I had a I had a a friend in the game, so to speak. OK, Um. so people are going to go like Alinea. It's the Alinea guy snob. Therefore, he doesn't like Top Chef. Mm-hmm. That is not the case. <laughs> and I'm going to make my I'm going to go with my with my reality TV credentials here mm-hmm. <laughs> and state that I love just filthy, bad reality television. <laughs> OK. And so and so like going back to like, you know, the very first season of Survivor with the dude who walked around naked all the time. Watch that religiously. Um, I love, in the food genre, I love Chopped. Like, okay. I think Chopped is a great game. Like, let's call it a game, not really a reality TV show. Um, and, you know, like, inevitably, I know a lot of the people on all the shows. I, I know a lot of the judges. I I talk to them about it. And, you know, it's like if you go on Chopped, there's really nowhere to hide. Like, I've had friends who've gone on and cooked there who are great cooks, guys like Gavin Kaysen and stuff like that. And they go on there. There's nowhere to hide. It's really well done. And it's really interesting to watch, I think.
0: Do you, um, have you, who have you known who's been on, on Top Chef? So I know like some of the Chicago. Well, like Efrain,
2: right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, I know more of the, the judge type. So in the episode that, that we're talking about, um, I know Bill Shate. Okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, I also know one of the contestants because he's opening restaurants soon that will be using Talk.
0: So, OK, so you have not been in. You haven't watched a lot of Top Chef, but just to set up uh, or for maybe our, our uh, listeners who don't know too much about it. So every season uh, when there's eight contestants left, they do this uh, very special episode um, uh, where it's a uh, restaurant wars where basically the contestants uh, team up in two teams of four and they open sort of competing pop ups. And over the years, it, there's been – they have to, like, one-up it every year in terms of craziness of the game design that they're giving the contestants. So that's why this year, you know, it's like they have the same budget and the same amount of prep time, but now they also have to do a lunch service. And they all have to – work. all these, you know, chefs have to work front of house, and they all have to expedite and, uh, and all of that. Um, so this uh, – so basically, I guess the way we usually do, like, a, our, our podcast, we just sort of start at the beginning of the episode and move through it chronologically and then stop and complain – when it's appropriate, Oh man, can we just can we just I don't know where to begin with, <laughs>
2: with, with,
1: <laughs> That's
0: why with, with the level of complaint.
2: This is I a mean, safe place, Nick. I know. I mean, it's <laughs> here. Here's my here's the thing before you start. Mm-hmm. Let's establish mm-hmm. that every one of those eight people mm-hmm. knows what's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they made up a little dance for it. They made a song and dance for it. Yeah. And Except yet, for
1: Philip. Philip, was a little confused. But those of us who've watched the program before know that when it gets down to eight people, that's that's pretty much when they do right. And, and like
2: wars. I figured that out really fast, <laughs> even though I don't watch the show. Thanks, philosophy. And yet, it seemed like they had no plan. And by I don't mean plan for the restaurant; I mean plan in
0: general. Well, so I would say some people I think did actually have a plan. And I think that it actually completely burned them because what they had was um, – who made that tureen? Uh, was that – Kwame. No. No, no. no, I'm sorry. It was Handsome Carl. It was
3: – It was Carl. Carl, Ma- Carl. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, that's right. Carl made that terrine. And you could tell that before Carl went on Top Chef, he was thinking to himself – if man, if I make it to Restaurant Wars, I'm making a terrine. I'm gonna blow right. everyone away. And then he didn't adapt based on all of the new constraints, and he had like an hour to make a terrine, and it didn't have time to. Yeah, set. I'm going
2: much more fundamental than that, though. Okay. I mean, like, screw the food. Okay. Okay. Go to what you need, what you know that the game designers are gonna do, and they're gonna do something that you would never do in a real restaurant when you open. Okay. So if you're gonna open a new restaurant, you d- that's you're never gonna be more popular than the day you open. Right, But you limit the number of covers you do. On Top Chef and every other reality show in the world, they want you to crash and burn. They want to create stress. You know they're going to do that. You know that they're going to flat seat, meaning drop everyone on you at once, so that you can't possibly keep up. That's every show. like Every Gordon Ramsay show, everything, Mm -hmm. that's what they do. Mm -hmm. You know they're going to do that, and therefore you design around that. That's what I'm talking about. Interesting. And they did nothing to design around that. So, I, I, I you know, let's not get – I mean, I don't want to go out of your sequence here. No, but no, But, no, no. like, you know, you know they're going to do that, so you need someone at the front door. Why do you not have drinks at the front door or canapes? Yeah. Make a hundred of them, have them sit in there, and give them something to bite on while you know they're not going to be getting their table.
0: How I, does no one think of that? I don't know. You should go into the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. You'd be so. good at that. <laughs> yeah. It's so frustrating to watch. Uh, like it this. was interesting uh, They did uh, I did see that they had uh, the, uh, terla- the wonderful Trelato wines But this episode Sponsored by uh, Trelato yes. wine
2: I, I, I gave I texted John Mid <laughs> Mid thing To give him some shit About that
0: uh, But they were Boy were they uh, uh, Fast and loose With that Trelato wine They were just lo- Loading just, the wine up With the free mean, wine
2: Free wine And But that's it
0: you I don't know? think that wine Came out of their budget If I had to guess I bet they were just Giving no. unlimited Trelato no, wine No No <laughs>
2: Can I tell a Grant story, please, about how how Top Chef works? Yeah, with the with the sponsorships because yeah. this is oh a really boy. nice segue. I love
1: this. I love insider <laughs> stuff.
2: So so I'm going to say that um, Grant went on the show about uh, it's probably six eight months after he got done with cancer treatment. Nothing funny about that, but he wants to really let people know that he's alive, that he gained his sense of taste back. There are a lot of articles how he lost his taste during treatment. And so he was invited to be on the show, and, and for years he had said, no, I, I'm not going to go on the show. But now he, he wanted to, and he wanted to so that he, he, people would know he was alive and healthy and so that he could taste. So me, being the business guy, said, let's get some Crucial Detail shit on there so we can sell it, <laughs> right? And that's a huge audience. And, you know, Martin Kastner does a lot of our design and plateware for Crucial Detail. Um, I mean, uh, under the crucial detail label.
0: Well, we got to we got to explain this because people don't know this. So one of the one of the the cool things about eating uh, at Alinea or Next is a lot you get these amazing presentations of food. I mean, it's really artful, and a lot of the serviceware is custom. Yeah, special it's custom stuff.
2: serviceware. But even as simple as the plates, even the plates are a little unusual. And so we thought it would be really cool to do um, a plating challenge. Like, and so we we told the producers like, yeah, he'll do it, but we want them to to get the access to all the Alinea plateware and serviceware and all the unusual little stuff and they would have to design something around that and they go, that's a great idea. So we ship $30,000 roughly of of plateware and all that out there and Grant is on the set the day of and they change it to a Swanson's broth <laughs> challenge. I shit you that, yeah. right? So I get the text. What was the challenge going to be? It was going to be a plating challenge using all okay. of the Alinea plateware okay, and whatnot, I see. right? Okay. It's like, I've got my product placement, mm-hmm. and now Swanson's has clearly trumped me. <laughs> and they've ponied up, you, got, you know. You know
1: what happened, uh, Nick? You got broth blocked. Oh, I did. I did. <laughs>
2: yeah. I did. And, you know, Grant texts me and says, hey, man, they're, they're changing this to, like, a soup challenge using Swanson's broth. <laughs> And I don't want any part of this shit like, you know, I don't want like I would never use Swanson's broth And it looks like I'm endorsing Swanson's broth now not that there's anything wrong with Swanson's broth at home I use it. I'm just saying you wouldn't in a restaurant context use Swanson's broth. So Sure enough, you know, the producers go back and forth with me all that stuff And I tell Grant I said like just be a petulant rock star and just walk off the set But he's really in a frame of mind at this point in his life. I know I don't want to do that right so he ends up, if you watch the episode that he judges, it's a Swanson's bra thing. <laughs> so I'm really pissed at them for pulling like the the switch at the last minute. And then here's the most amazing part: like two months later, they haven't shipped our stuff back. So oh my I'm, god! Yeah, and they're you know they call them the magical elves, you know. And I'm like I'm like they're just fiendish elves. They're terrible. They've got twenty five thousand dollars of our equipment. They claim to have lost it, and I think they lost it into like the producer's house or whatever, <laughs> right? And So finally, I just sent them an invoice and two days later all the stuff came back.
0: Oh Man Wow,
2: so that's my context on On the challenges here like in terms of like product placement and all that like I tried to get my product placed on there I do not blame them for doing it <laughs> And I failed miserably because Swanson's broth block <laughs> I've never told anybody in public this, and I feel like there's no shot we're ever on Top Chef ever again. If you, wanna, <laughs> if you ever want to unburden yourself here, you are so
1: welcome to. It's, it's one thing that it is funny. That like We all understand that that's how a reality show works. You'll have these product placements, sometimes a little clunkier than others. But, you know, it's sometimes there was one uh, – there's a show related to this called Last Chance Kitchen. A couple of weeks ago, the ingredient they had to use was soy vey. Are you familiar with that uh, Nick Soyve like not. teriyaki sauce? Yeah, no, I'm not. It's like a
2: grocery store teriyaki. sauce. It's really sauce. good, but it's an it's op- a play th- on oïve. Yeah, so I, they're going after a very specific target. It's, it's
1: basically Jew- <laughs> Jewish teriyaki sauce. Yeah, right. But you know, the thing is that that's that's bachelor cooking. I mean, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. that's you know, that's the thing where you go I got chicken and I got to make it taste like something, <laughs> so right. you put this on. it. Right. It does get in the way sometimes.
0: All right. Well, as long as we're not, as long as we're we're in the middle of nowhere, can, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I have a favorite story of yours that you've told me. Oh, no. Um, so, I may
2: or may. Can I tell it?
0: Well, I think so. Yeah. Okay. I don't think you'll get in trouble. But uh, one of the things you've told me is it is not uncommon at uh, these very fine dining, expensive restaurants that you own that people attempt to, they get a little bit drunk and they attempt to steal the custom service way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to go somewhere way different. Yeah. yeah no, no, I can tell.
2: Yeah. It's, it's. It's... And,
0: and, and the, re- the, the, the here's the, my tenuous connection to this episode, as uh, when Marjorie had to cle- was trying to get people to leave their tables, had that really awkward, like, do you want to follow me and get a, a glass yeah, of yeah, wine? Yeah, yeah, get a glass
2: of wine. You, that was
0: You've had far more awkward conversations with people who you caught stealing the serviceware. Yeah,
2: I mean, one of the... That's happened a lot, but one of the first times it happened, um, we had these cork presenters, like, someone orders a nice bottle of wine, and, and we have this, like we're kind of like how do we do it not french you know and so we we designed this really cool thing that martin designed and and we had like 10 of them like at the time and they were handmade and someone a woman puts it in her purse and the server you know sort of came up to me and said look i've kind of mentioned it but that it's gone but they didn't you know most times people would resurface it so, like, the the, orig- the first, like, soignee strategy of, <laughs> of theft in a michelin star restaurant is you don't go, hey, you stole that. You go, something here has gone missing. And then you walk away, and usually they'll not so discreetly, they'll think they're so being you're, discreet. you're letting them save face. You're, you're letting them save out. face, yes. Yeah. You want to let them save face. But in this case, like, there's no budging, and they kind of called me over, and it's actually rare that I'm there at night. You know, I'm not in service. I'm sort of the business side of things. So... Um, they called me over and they said, well, you know, what are we going to do? And so I just said, well, you know, are you positive? Cause if you're positive, I, I kind of got an idea on how to handle this. And they said, yeah, a hundred percent. It's in her purse. I watched it go in there. It has not come out since. Okay. So I walked over and <laughs> said, um, you know, I hope you've enjoyed everything. Oh yeah. Best meal of our lives. And all that. I said, well, you know, I have a bit of a, a problem in that, you know, uh, sir, your wife has put the cork <laughs> presenter <laughs> no. into her purse. And he was like, are you saying that she stole that? And I said, well, yeah, well, you know, she's not stolen it yet. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the plan, you know. It's philosophy. <laughs> and and it's it's on the way out if I don't say anything. And I said, well, here's the deal, okay. And he gets very offended. I said, look, I could be wrong. And if, in fact, she doesn't have it in her purse, the meal's on me. And I'm going to be incredibly, you know, egg in my face and, and totally wrong. And I will pay for your entire meal. That's a couple thousand dollars, right? that's why i triple checked with the guy and uh i said and if and if if not you know just please like we need it back we only have 10 of them and just leave a nice tip for the for the, the staff back when we used to do tipping back then and um he looked at his wife and said, he was like ecstatic he was like awesome we just got this meal for free and he looks at her and she just kind of like looked down and you know shook her head and and he was like you gotta be effing kidding me. <laughs> and, uh, and he got so mad. And you know, you could just see like the other couple was just dead and silent and uh, she pulled it out of the purse and put it on the table. It was just so sad. And I just felt like that cab ride home was gonna be tough.
0: I just uh I think you I, I that is one of the most awkward stories I've ever <laughs> heard in my entire life. But I just really—we've like... had people
2: throw stuff on the floor when, 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 asked. You know, when we say like something's gone missing, we can literally see them take it out of their purse, toss it onto the floor. Like you'd hear it hitting the floor. And
0: then they're like, "Oh, there I it is." It, right? Yeah. Uh, I just really uh, I love how you found a way to uh, to still deal with it and uh, and like leave them an out, right? In case you're you wrong. try really hard to to keep things pleasant. <sighs> So let's get into let's get into the challenge so they introduce uh so Padma's there uh she's with uh, bill Chait uh who's restaurant tour in uh, l a Padma and bill uh, explain explained that uh it usually takes over a year to sort of go from conceptualizing a menu to first serving the public, but the chefs are gonna do this in one day. The chefs sort of break out into their huddles uh and uh oh wait, first they pick teams right yeah, they did pick That's teams. Right. So it was. Uh, that's right. So they draw knives. So it's Amar is one captain, and Karen's the other. Amar picks uh, Kwame. Kwame's my favorite to win. Nick, I picked. Sh- I picked Kwame. At the you still? Of the like you're still sticking with Kwame. Uh, he's had a rough couple of weeks, but I'm. Uh, so I'm I've only st- seen this one like episode,
2: him. but I don't. I'm bad with the names. Yeah. Who's the guy with the with the beard? The, the crazy Cajun the other... guy. No, 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 no. no okay. No. The sort of redheaded guy on the other. He's got his shit together. He was on the other team. He he was just like I'm just a line cook like oh you know. Philip Philip yes correct uh,
0: you are coming into this season at a very interesting <laughs> place because <laughs> oh uh, I don't want to we try not to be mean to anyone on this uh, on this podcast but Phil every season they cast a couple of dinglings on Top Chef he's a dingling really he's a, he's a dingling really a, he's a classic dingling he's wow. a, he, has a, he has opinions that are uh, far out okay his, uh, his, there you uh, go demonstrated the, cooking the,
1: ability. the part where he was okay. explaining how to do the plating in his absence was pretty indicative of of a Philip moment.
0: Do you so remember that where he was yeah, yeah, his, yeah. he was telling the team how to plate his complicated dish? I yeah, I kind of didn't hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like I deal
2: with a lot of chefs like that, you know. That's it's interesting.
0: Like, uh, but he so but, but if he can't say, cook, that's a
2: problem. You can't but, do that and not back it up.
0: But I will say, well everyone on the show can cook, but it's like uh but uh, you know, you're the people finding to the tiniest little flaws with their with their work, but it's like uh but Philip ha- I will say like he man, he really did pull it together. Like I thought that when he had that line to uh, – oh, Jeremy was expediting, and he's like, listen, I'm a line cook. I'll just fire when you tell me to fire. Yeah. I was like, you know what? And that guy was right. Oh, well, you Get there. Yeah, so but, get but, there. No, I, I just felt like that, he, that was a standout moment. That I mean, was a really
2: you, indicative moment of someone who knows what's going on in a kitchen.
0: Yep. And, and, uh, and yeah. how to
2: deal with you know, press or VIPs that enter, or a, a reviewer or a judge in this case. Like the, he was doing – the other guy was doing precisely the wrong thing.
1: And that <clears throat> you mean lavishing all of the service on the VIPs?
2: Yeah. I mean, any reviewer, like, I think I, you know, I talked to some restaurateurs sometime, and, and let's be clear there's been in 12 years one reviewer that came through Alinea that we didn't know about. Hmm. One. And wow. we've been reviewed by everybody. We know phone numbers. I mean, this is before, like, even before, like, you know, we had the ticketing system. Now it's, like, kind of obvious and all that. I mean, you know, you just you know the aliases. You know what they look like. They're, they're you know. eating
0: alone with a steno pad. Or? No,
2: no, no. They <laughs> they very much try hard not to do that. But okay. anybody who's worth a damn in the restaurant industry and it's trying really hard will know when the local newspaper guy comes in three times. Steve Dolinsky, the Hungry Hound man. Well, got his he's picture, a different you got his case. He's picture on the wall everywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Hung, hung Hungry Hound is eating here.
2: Dolinsky's everywhere. But you know, I mean, like. I never really played that game. Like, if I knew someone was a reviewer, I'd always say hi and and introduce myself as such. I just thought it was a weird, you know, thing left over from the 70s or something. But um, everyone still kind of tries to play that game, which is really strange. But what the reviewers do, if they're smart, is they look at every table around them. Because, you know, so if you're a smart restaurateur and you want to make sure that that reviewer is going to give you a good review, you don't only up the game for them you up the game in their whole section of the dining room. And that's what these guys
0: forgot to do. Yeah. Um all right, so let's jump into restaurant planning for a second because I know this was another one of your the things that bugged you. So you see the two teams sort of harried standing around a table coming up with concepts, like shooting shooting ideas back and forth. Uh So I thought they did a good job of that actually. Oh man, there was that when when Phil, Philip had a great quote where he's like uh, w- what's the name? We need a name that doesn't have an actual meaning. And I was like, right. that <laughs> is the quintessential Philip quote right there. And I was like, but also like, I gotta say, I didn't hate that either. <laughs> it's so, fu- it's so funny <laughs> to me. It's, it's th- like I, I'm, well, you know, what I want to believe about a restaurant where where it's the people really we, give our, a shit. our stuff has a meaning, but they've got a day. How can you gain a real point of view you know, in a day? You gotta just pick something though, right?
3: No, but if you think about like they're on the judging block there and like, well, so what <coughs> was your name supposed to be? They can throw out they can throw out anything and they just put out the most articulate well, person. Right. And I and yeah, and I
2: I, I I don't know. I think that like if you're planning a restaurant for a year, you better have a damn good name. Like all of our names mean something and all that. But with a day, and you're in a warehouse, basically, and you know you got five grand to spend on your decor. You know, it's uh, how much point of view can
0: you have? I don't know. This was this. But was at least they that, moved through that quickly. That's true. They didn't. They didn't. Uh, they didn't. Uh, they didn't uh, dither on it. But I just feel like I think that you know my hope when I have any sort of like art experience or you know, go to a nice restaurant that's considerate is like someone thought through it, and they're even if it's even if it's not the greatest concept, like at least there's something of like oh, we're all about seasonal ingredients. We're all about something.
2: Is it fair to concede, though, that that they probably were not... They were, like, too disparate in what they would have agreed to, so they just kind of agreed to disagree and end on nothing, which I get is an annoying thing for you. Totally.
0: Yeah, but to me, but it's that's like... Not, that's to not me, too
2: stupid, because they had other things to worry about.
0: You're right, and you want to save... You know, you also got to have to pick your battles on the team, and there's there's a lot of egos and all of that, but I think, like the the best to me it's like what i'd be looking for in a team is someone to step up and give a vision to the team what you know even if it's it, well, even if it's pretty broad right to my earlier point if
2: you're like if there's 10 people left and you've got a chance to get to these 8 and you know that the restaurant war thing is coming why have you not spent the two previous weeks
0: <laughs> right writing up the entire plan right that's a great. It's a good point. No one. No one is surprised. That. No one is surprised that they do restaurant wars on Top Chef, right? Yeah. So why does someone not just show up and go,
2: like, here's our cut sheet, and we can change this if you want, hmm. but at least I've got my plan for our next, you know, thirty six hours or whatever yeah, or
0: here I wrote down a list of ten names. What do you guys think of these or you know right. something? Have yeah. it in your back pocket, like <clears throat> mentally at least.
3: Do you think, be you've dealt with the magical elves. Do you think that it could be because that is against
2: the rules? Sure, no, but you, I, I said mentally at least. So, like, you know, it's like, you could write all that out, have it in your mental back pocket, and be like, okay, you know, here's what we need to do, and we've got 12 hours of cooking time, because they make them stop at midnight, which is pretty unrealistic as well. And... They want to do that because they want to make sure that they're not prepared. I mean, if someone had a great service, there it would make for terrible TV, well, I'm sure, right?
0: Yeah, that's true. But uh, and also, uh, I do know. Um, I have read some interviews with uh, you know, Project Runway, the dressmaking thing. Yes. That they have to. They've learned over the years that they have to make rules about the contestants. Yeah, because they'll not work. Working. They'll yeah. work too hard. Right? Yeah, and they'll collapse. Like they'll. Yeah, they'll but you know
2: apart. what? Who gives a shit? <laughs> I mean, we just opened up, we brought 48 people to Madrid we worked 16 hours a day for 10 days straight to build mm-hmm. an entire restaurant mm-hmm. at a Michelin three-star level. And when people were like dropping like flies, we we're like, fuck that guy. Like, kick, you
0: know, like we need to get this thing open next Wednesday. Uh, That's wow. the reality. If you want reality. I hope, I hope all the, uh, <clears throat> cause I feel like a lot of our audience are, uh, <laughs> I feel like they're, uh, they're tech, uh, tech people. And I hope all the uh, audience that, uh, you know, they're on Twitter and they're complaining like, oh, we only get three weeks of paid vacation. At no, my don't tech even job. start with, it's like with the beanbag right. chairs aren't as good as my last tech job. I hope they're I hope they understand. Well, I,
2: I will say this. Our employment practices keep me from actually doing any of that.
0: <laughs> uh Okay, I, another thing I got to throw out, by the way. Did you have you had a chance to see For Grace yet? The uh, I did not know. Uh, it's a documentary by uh, my friend Kevin Pang. Uh, I'm sure you know. Oh, and, oh Grace. Yeah, For yeah. Grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Grace, of yeah. course, yeah. I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's and it's about uh, Curtis Duffy, who's a chef in Chicago, who worked at Alinea, and and Grant is featured pretty prominently yeah. in it. And uh, it's just a, a, a sort of a, sh- uh, a short, uh, um, like, uh, what is it, like, hour and twenty minute documentary. It follows the opening of uh, Curtis's first restaurant, and uh, sort of talks about his life. And for people, I think for people who are curious about what the sacrifices that you make to execute in the restaurant business at the highest levels, that feels like a pretty honest documentary.
2: Although, although I'll say this, um, I think that's true of any business. Hmm. Like, if you want to really, really do well at anything, it, except maybe Cards Against Humanity,
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have to work really fucking hard. Well, I mean, I'm, right? listen, I'm I keep I, have I that know schedule, I'm just kidding, but Max. I know I know no, That's but my it's point, like,
2: though, like people think it's somehow lucky that, you know, anything happens. And the fact of the matter is I remember when I, we started building Alinea, I, I was talking to this restaurant tour. I'd never built a restaurant in my life ever until we built Linnea. I had no I'd never spent a minute working in a restaurant. I had never done anything. And I told a guy that I knew who was a chef and restaurant owner, and he had three restaurants that I was doing this and he said that's the dumbest thing you, you could ever do this is a terrible industry it's it's high failure rate it's terrible and i said well then why did you build number 2 and 3 if it's so awful like and the fact is is that if you do well in any industry it takes a lot of blood sweat and tears and all that stuff and those clichés are real but if you do well at it it's it's the best because you know what you do every day you make people happy like you just said at the beginning that you went to next, and you had this wonderful experience, and you had this dish that you'll remember forever, and all that, and that's why you do all. Of the, you sweat the little mi- miniature details. I mean, you're really in the theater business to some extent, you know.
1: I haven't finished um, watching that on Max's recommendation. I uh, bought it off iTunes, but um, and I, like you say, I'm sure this isn't unique to what's happening there. But uh, I guess my first impression was that not enough people in that movie are wearing safety gear and helmets. Uh, but the other thing that I noticed <laughs> was that it just—it seems like there—you never. And I'm curious, curious your read on this because I had my family's was in a, on a much smaller scale, obviously, in the restaurant business. And, and like you say, I mean, there's always those, those rules of thumb about most restaurants going out of business in six months, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that really struck me was that whether or not you choose to sweat the details, it seems like the ex, it's very easy for the expenses to go beyond what you expected. And if you do sweat the details, it seems like it must just be just gut-wrenching. To sit there and have to go, these chairs are six hundred dollars each. That
0: must be. That must be.
1: How, how do you know when to cap it? How
0: to cap it? And where to cap it? Well, they they budgeted six hundred dollars a chair, and they spent a thousand. Right. That was it. Yeah. The business owner at uh, at Grace, who's f- also featured in the documentary, I just love that guy. He seems like he seems like a total mensch. Oh, the other guy, the guy, the Steve Bomb. This, he's like the Steve Ballmer.
2: Oh, you're Michael Muser.
0: You're talking Michael about Michael Muser. Oh, yeah.
2: But so there's there is another guy, though, who's the the money, the backer, the okay. financial backer. So, Muser, so
0: Muser's not the business partner.
2: So Muser is the head som and front of house and co-owner of the restaurant. But okay. there is there is a, a, a financier of sorts ah, as well. Okay. And that's who I okay. thought you were talking about.
0: He okay. comes across as the consigliere. Uh I mean, I just lo- I just love that guy. Like he just has so much heart, and uh, he's so supportive of Curtis. Uh, just just really came across as uh, a thoroughly decent. Like, and that that's another thing about the the restaurant business is like some of the best people I've ever met in my life. Like, why do all these like ex- so like smart, kind, hardworking, disciplined people? Like, what do you is there? What do you think it is about that? You know, I think
2: the happiest moments for me are when I walk through our restaurants at eight o'clock at night and you see a full dining room and people are there from all over the world in our case. And they're there doing like a basic human function. And I don't mean the eating part. I mean like they're there for their, their birthday or they're celebrating something or they're there with their business colleagues or whatever it may be. And, you know, sort of breaking bread and chatting. That's one of the few times you do that now, you know? And, um, you know, we have a room of like 80 really, really happy people in there. And I walk through and I'm like, there are worse ways to make a living <laughs> than making a lot of people really happy. It's a great thing. And then and th- I think that's kind of my problem <laughs> with Top Chef. Okay. And so I watch this and all of the joy is stripped out of this, right? Yeah. Th- it's <laughs> like, it's like, let's throw as many human beings in that room as possible so that these guys break You know, let's figure out how to break their plan and then, you know, dissect the food, which, of course, isn't going to be perfect. And then, of course, the service. I mean, they've got like 20 catering guys that they met five minutes ago. Of course, the service isn't going to be any good. Like, it's impossible. Like, you'd never just hire 20 catering guys to run your restaurant, you know. So it's such an impossible task. And then, of course, nobody's going to enjoy themselves. The only people that they highlight are the people who are pissed off because they waited for 30 minutes. Right. So, like, where's the fun there? Like, that. the whole reason you get into it is to be—is to, be, to have some of the joy. And I, I do know that they show that from time to time. There's great dishes and all of that. But I think that, you know, let them control it. Like, if you made that a better game, let them book the restaurant themselves. Like, why not let them market it themselves? And if one group— Huh. And if one group says, you know what, we're only going to do 40 covers at lunch because then we can knock it out of the park. To me, that's smarter than the one that goes, yeah, let's do 130 and make it perfect and, and you know, just look, make it look really busy. Huh. So, you know, they didn't really give them control over
0: anything in the show. Right. So so they sort of so the, the, the format of the game sort of handed the chefs a losing proposition. Well, I mean, by design. Right. And then they, and then you're just wa- and then there's sort of like it's kind of cruel to watch them burn crash and burn yeah and, and, and uh, even like uh,
2: okay these guys didn't finish their last few plates but what they did serve kind of looked better and they made a critical error i think it's in serving the judges the way that they did but at, at the same time like it, it doesn't make them any worse it's yeah. not actually a good game i don't think
0: okay i'm gonna do a, a, a sponsor break and then we'll let's go through the Is episode it swanson's it's sponsored that'd by be Swanson's. that so unbelievable! Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I just want to take a minute to thank uh, our sponsor this week, the Swanson's family of broth products, uh, endorsed by Nick Kakonis, in use uh, at all of That's his restaurant all we properties. Uh, we never make stock <laughs> from scratch ever. <laughs> thank, thank God, no one listens to this. Uh, that would be really <laughs> bad out of context. <laughs> uh, no, our uh, so our sponsor for uh, uh, the Top Scallops podcast is a, uh, a wonderful company called Backblaze. They make a, uh, a an online backup tool. Uh, that Merlin and I both uh, use, and we both really enjoy and this week I uh, talked to our friend at backblaze Yev well I, I always like to believe that like the culture of a company comes out in the product and i really I, I really genuinely enjoy the product that that backblaze puts out like i I was you know I've been thinking about it a lot because um, you guys have have sort of been our sponsor for the whole season and I don't think there's almost any other piece of software I use that I trust just a hundred percent and it completely solves a problem in my life the same way that backblaze does what do you is there do you feel like there's like cultural values at backblaze that that translate into the software you know just working so reliably and so easily
4: uh yeah that that's definitely one of the things that uh the the founding team focused on when they when they started the company was to make it like the easiest, most unobtrusive. Uh, backup solution possible. Uh, and the reason they did that, the reason the whole company was started was because, uh, backing up was so hard. So like, if you think back to like 10 years ago, people were still doing it on like CDs and external hard drives and everything was manual and it was terrible and no one actually did it. And so people were losing data all the time. Uh, and so this online backup solution was created just so it could like run in the background of your computer. You wouldn't notice it. It was slowly kind of scanning your hard drive and then uploading all the data to the backup servers. And then whenever something happened to the computer, you could log in from any website or from any place where you had an internet connection, you'd log into the website, you know, select which files you want. You know, if you wanted one file, like if you forgot a presentation, like that was cool. If you needed all your data, cause your computer caught fire. Um, we, we tried to make it super, super simple. And some of the founding team came from, uh, you know, a couple of companies removed, but they came from Apple at the time where they were working on, like, simplicity and having, like, a very clean design. So um, we tried to make everything be very, very, you know, kind of white and airy and flowy and unobtrusive and kind of not in-your-facey, um, which uh, we hope kind of puts people at ease. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we know that they're sending us their data. And so we have to take good care of that data. Um, And so if we can make it kind of as, you know, the least uh, nerve-wracking process as possible, that's what we try to do.
0: Uh, Our thanks again to Backblaze for sponsoring this episode of Top Scallops. And for listeners of the podcast, you can get a free trial of Backblaze at backblaze.com slash scallops. I think that was my best sponsor read yet. Yeah, it was, it was really, terrific. I was kind of impressed. Thank you. How do you spell it. scallops, though? S-C-A, uh-oh. See? <laughs> Merlin, we've, uh, Nick's, <laughs> Nick's here. It's a special occasion, Nick's here, so we are drinking a little bit. I hope that doesn't come across on the program. No, very really little. Have, no, no, no. We're having a little, uh, a little day we're having drink. a little we It's a little all okay it's, it's, it's all soigne. Yeah, it's classy. <laughs> Alex and I, Alex, I made you a hot toddy. Is that for me? It's got the ginger, yeah. Oh.
1: What's it got? It's got, like, what, like, sweet corn and bread? What What do you put
2: in hers?
0: It's all all white proteins, all white foods. <laughs> uh, Alex is a super taster. Are you familiar <laughs> with super tasters? I, I
2: am. I think one of my kids is a super taster. For real. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Is
0: he really smart?
2: Yeah, he he is very smart. But that's not. I don't it, think that has anything to do with it. it like cor- he can. I think there's a I, there my might theory be is there's a correlation. I I I just know that like he can taste like the one part per million kind of thing. Like my wife puts like one thing in by accident into a loaf of bread, and he'll be like. You know, is there any saffron in this? Because, you know, you didn't mention that. And,
0: uh, uh, I've known a couple of super tasters who it's like medically diagnosed. And it's really hard for them to eat, you know, a lot of like vegetables or just like normal foods. And they're all geniuses. They're all extremely smart. So, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I do know. A good, maybe that's a good sign.
3: So, Max is calling me a genius. That's true. There you go. Uh, You're very smart, <laughs> For the <Alex>. record, <laughs> yes.
0: You're very smart, Alex. Uh, that is why I hired you. Well, really, who's the genius in this scenario?
1: So you're saying because I ate a Taco Bell slash KFC today, I'm not a genius. Is that your point? Uh, You know what? I'm not. That was a dumb thing to do. I don't know why I did that.
0: Well, just based
1: on the available data.
2: Did you go directly from one to the other?
1: No, that's in the same building. I went and saw Paulette uh, at the (laughs) KFC Taco Bell. (laughs) I had had three uh, hard tacos and uh, three of their uh, delicious uh, uh, little uh, tenders.
2: And That wasn't enough.
1: Are you, are you no, I had, be- no, I also had a nap. I had that. That was uh, <laughs> off menu, but I had a nap. Are you?
0: Uh, are you not familiar with the combination KFC Taco Bell? I am not. No, oh, no. it's a wonderful <laughs> technology that we have now. <laughs> wow! You can also get in some places, like at airports, you can get a
1: KFC slash Taco Bell slash Pizza Hut. I believe.
0: Yep, it's oh. all all the yum the yum family of brands. Yum brands. Yes. Yum
2: brands. Yum exclamation point.
0: All right, so let's let's uh work our way through the uh through the episode here. So, uh where we left off, uh the chefs were sort of in their planning meetings. One of my other favorite quotes that I wrote down from this uh uh I think this is a horrible decision, but uh, uh it's just a really funny moment where as soon as they start planning uh, on the palate team, Carl goes, uh, we only have 24 hours to prep, which means I could make something like a terrine." <laughs> which is like I mean, that's that's really not a good. I I really feel like he just wanted to make a terrine that he had in his head for Restaurant Wars and didn't really adapt, didn't really rethink it or adapt based on the challenge. And of course, it was not good.
2: Well, no, I mean, and called out as such before even eaten. Right. Like you need at least three days to cure that. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: So. That was a that was a, a questionable decision. Um, uh, right off the top. So for the for the lunch service on the uh, let's see here on the palate team. Uh. Isaac is the executive chef. I think he uh would give him pretty high marks actually. He was like he was like very supportive of his chefs. He kept pretty cool. He he can be kind of have a temper and he he really kept it together. Marjorie was front of the house. Uh I think she all the front of the house people did pretty well. She had a couple of uh, mistakes, I would say.
1: I, that whole thing with her not being at the front. That felt a little manufactured to me. She seemed so competent and so she was keeping the big view of what was going on better than maybe anybody I've ever seen do that job on the show before.
0: And and to Nick's point, you know that they were holding the judges offset, and the minute she walked away from yeah, the yeah, you got to park they were someone like, there. Yeah, well, and the but the minute she walked away, the producers were like, "Judges, go, 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 yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. get in there." Yeah, Can we talk about about
2: the the fact that Padma had had a dress on that? Uh,
0: you know, you know, Nick. I wasn't going to bring this up. But I, I, I would, mean, I I couldn't really think about the food much. If I was the guest judge on that episode, I would have a, I would have had a very difficult time uh, t- critiquing the food. I it just seemed like a little much. No, I uh,
2: I mean, it wasn't even pe- like it was lunch for pe- Christ's sake. Pe- it was I think it was lunch. kind of the opposite of a little much. It was a little
1: not enough. There was a <laughs> lot of Padma on uh, on the uh, on the plate. There uh, is that
2: standard these days no, for that my show. Goodness, no, it no. is not.
3: Uh, no. I disagree, like the bikini episode the, it wasn 't the season I think it was last season. Do you remember that max
0: and she, there was some, some contrivance wherein yeah. <laughs> they had the chef standing on a beach, and Padma like swam <laughs> up. To yeah. Like, yeah, like a bond girl I'm a, <laughs> yeah well i don't want i don't want i don 't want a poddma shame i mean no. uh, nobody wants that, but uh I will say uh i, w- I part of me did think i don 't know how much, so so she is in addition to uh being uh, extremely smart about the food. Issues on the show. I know she's also kind of a fashion icon, and uh, like I do see when I like search for the Top Chef blogs a lot of like commentary on what she's wearing or whatever. She was wasn't she a model? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Sh- I think so. And she's she was married, married to Salman uh, Rushdie. Salman Rushdie. There you go. Yeah.
2: Last um, time I was in New York, I sat at a table next to Salman Rushdie. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Who's I that? don't want to say the restaurant, were but you, were you but, looking over your shoulder? Um, I I was not worried, um, okay. but I will say that uh, he he has found his next Padma at least for the night.
0: There you go. <laughs> Good, oh for, good for him.
1: Uh, got a secret menu there.
2: But, he really uh, does. I mean, part,
1: so, so part I mean, me, you
2: got to go write a pretty damn fucking good book. <laughs> <laughs> if you look like Salmon Rushdie. I mean, you know, the satanic verses is genius. If you could be pulling that down at like, uh, what, 60 some years old. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Come on. I mean, it's, uh, you're, you're thinking
0: it. Anyway, you're just not me, saying uh, it. Part of me did I'm wonder, do it. you think Padma, do you think she picked the dress to kind of throw people off right to to be like here how do you you know just like I'm gonna be really really in your face bad. you make it sound like she came in in body paint or something uh, <laughs> it was, it was, I'll under, say it was cons- I would say it was conspicuous yes. <laughs>
3: alright all i feel like no one wants to say that d- Padma was super hot this episode she yeah. was her boobs were very nice anyway oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry
2: we should to get too bogged down on <laughs> that's what you're saying thanks Alex Kwame, I got to tell you, so I think Kwame did a much, despite his errors, um, you know, that they highlighted. I think he did a much better job in the front of house.
0: I, I agree. And like I think he had hmm.
2: some polish to him. Like, she felt like she was running around as like a little flustered. She, she was flustered and, and just not when you go up to a table, you know, although he did say one thing that I wouldn't or no, she was the one saying. We're just trying to turn tables as fast as we can. Yeah. to to like we'll get jargon-y. you in. And it's jargony and it's just wrong. You would never say that to a customer like we need to turn this table, you know. And they were both kind of doing that, you know. I always feel for the front of house person and it happened again this time. It happens every time because uh, as you know, Nick,
1: you still have to do a dish even if you're doing front of house. Yeah, yeah. And I really feel for that person because you know, you it almost always comes down to Having to do a dish that's and you know she's and she is really one of the contenders this season. She's been great all season. When you say pretty much, you guys? Oh yeah,
3: she's she's always been my pick to win. She's
1: yeah, she's my pick right now too. And but anyway, so it's this mixed blessing of like on the one hand you've got sort of the most stressful, uh, you know, the the whole the whole um, all the diners can see you. You have to pick a simplified dish and you have to really count on other people to mostly put it together and plate it for
2: you. So I always
1: feel like that's 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 yeah, that's totally fair.
2: I just think that like it's actually in that role. She's not like slinging plates. So all you really have to do is keep is move slowly when you finally get to the table.
0: Well, it depends. So so I did notice right. so I did notice on the team on Kwame's team they uh where um Jeremy was uh uh you know, executive chef and he was expediting. Oh, Jeremy! They, they so with the exception of making the the horrible horrible error of throwing their service off by by stopping service just to get the judge's plates ready, I thought that they actually did a lot of things in a very smart savvy way. So the first thing I noticed is they taped out the expediting. They were Uh, so
2: much more polished and together overall that I was kind of mad when they made that error because it was going so well.
0: So I think it's because so Philip mentioned that he's had a bunch of front of house experience. Do you think it's possible Philip sort of told the guys on the team, like, hey, here's how you do this? Like, you got to tape out the orders. You got to make your space for the orders. You got to get mean, the stations. I mean, they should all ready. know that.
2: Here's the thing, but though. Is
1: they like, also
0: knew Kwame also was the guy who called the Kwame was guy moving at the host stuff station. around in the
1: kitchen. Yep. I mean, yeah, I've n- never seen anybody do that much moving
0: around.
2: Yeah, in the I mean, and I thought that was really smart, too. Like, these are the kinds of things, though, that if I put you guys in there, this is the thing that's so frustrating that I'm going to keep going back to and just beat my head against the wall on. <laughs> is that. If if you knew nothing about how to run a restaurant whatsoever and we gave you 36 hours, the first thing you do for the first hours, you plan the hell out of everything. And you've, you literally figure out how many steps it is from wherever that kitchen was to there. And you do the math and you go, well, we're going to have to run. They're going to put 100 people in here. That's 400 plates. How do we get 400 plates out of here? Like no one did the basic math. Doesn't yeah. that frustrate you? I mean, like neither team did that.
1: You see it sometimes. I, I, I totally take your point. And my, the, big, the big giant novelty-sized asterisk for me is not, not knowing and never really knowing how much goes on behind the scenes. As Max has heard about and mentioned on the show before, you have to sign contracts
0: before each challenge. Yeah, is, that, yeah. is that here or Top Dress? Is that, no, I'm, I'm is pretty that sure next? I heard that they do that on, uh, on, to, on uh, Top Chef.
1: I think, I think they're pretty carefully uh, monitored
2: for any of the stuff that we, would do to, that we ourselves would do to gain. No, 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 But I'm saying even within the context of the game, like right. the first hour, rather than going like, let's name the place. What's this? You go, what's the game here? Right. Like, and you go, okay, well, they're going to throw a hundred diners at lunch to us. We need to do four plates. That's 400 plates. Right. How do we get 400 plates out in a two hour period of time and divide that out? It's not that it's not that hard. We do. Every restaurant does that. And because these people work in restaurants, they should know that. Here's here's my question on that because
1: I I think about that all the time and we're always we talk about the lot that a lot on here is like the balance of time available, uh, what's the budget for this? What are the constraints of the environment or the the challenge per se? And then you know what and then what do you do to try and distinguish yourself to not just stay alive this week but to win so if you were on this show nick what would you do how do you weigh that to decide for example like in my case i would totally i'd punk out and figure out what i could plate efficiently oh yeah and, and the, that i wouldn't wreck I, you know almost yeah like not for sure free, and that but, but like what could you how do you how do you game that
2: i mean you know part of it is like you know they're, they're gonna stuff people at the front door because every show that's ever done this they do that so again i would be going okay well what do we do at the front door Gordon Ramsay's the worst at that because yeah. he
1: takes these restaurants yeah. that are obviously... Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. You 60% know? of the restaurants that he's been to on that show are, are closed now. They're yeah. on their last legs. <laughs> they have had more business than they've had since Pa died Oh yeah, yeah. Years Let's throw 300 people in to lunch tomorrow. Yeah, exactly.
2: yes. I mean, that's perfect. <laughs> With this entire new menu that I've created for in you. In a day. Fresh local ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. So, same thing. So, you know, you could answer your own question. I mean, how do you game that? Well instead of putting out four plates you put out two you know and the way you do two is that you have you have two complimentary items perhaps that one from this chef one from that chef but they go out at the same time like and that's that's not you know that's not rocket science Mm -hmm. there's just a and maybe you know i'm not a chef but there's a lot of ways that you could you go okay well when 50 people are at the door what can we do with them okay well we can put three people at the door with with wine and some canapes that we made that aren't part of any of the dishes we only need to bang out 200 canapes that's not that hard like they can do that in an hour with four of them you know and now you've got something in your back pocket that's going to impress the judges for planning it's going to be delicious the people won't be as pissed off and they'll go yeah we had to wait but that's all you want to do is create we had to wait and service wasn't perfect but we appreciate the effort that's all anybody ever wants in a restaurant
1: And and you're also highlighting something that's so difficult, which is that, you know, whoever you are on this show, you want to have your imprimatur on whatever dish is, quote-unquote, your dish. sounds like part of what you're advocating for would be four people working together on however many dishes and collaborating as a team to not have my dish. Yeah, no, but they're only
0: going to get rid
2: of one of these guys.
0: Yeah, but it's like the thing that makes it—so from the game design point of view, like what makes this such a fun challenge to watch and and why no one can, like, optimize it like that— is they don't only not want to lose. Like, uh, like, like, they do want to not be the losing team, right? But they also, everyone wants to win. They want to have the best, most memorable dish. Sure. So everyone, no one would agree to be like, oh, well, I'll just collaborate and put my, do my one part and just do the why mise not? for this one place. You just
2: want to get through, next week I'll kick your ass, but this week we just don't want to be the losing team. Well,
0: that's why they don't let us on these shows. <laughs> 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 right, I know, right? right? <laughs> yeah. But, In you know, these are... I mean, I think I could convince you to, to not do that. It's a little prisoner's dilemma, right? It it's is like when you lose, you lose big, but if yes. you but if you defect, right? If you defect from your team, and only you someone up...
2: made a game like that. I know, <laughs> but it's like,
0: well, I mean, yeah, but this is and this is like this is my love of of the hidden identity games, like Werewolf and all of that. Yeah. but it's like, but you know, the prisoner's dilemma. It's like, well, you could win small as a group, but everyone wins, or you could win big sure. by defecting. One person's going to defect. I had a couple of other things um, I was curious about. What? uh, Oh, I have a restaurant term question for you. There's a word I didn't know on Top Chef this week. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, So when they were setting up the kitchen, um, Kwame was sort of arranging the kitchen. And he's like, this is good. We can move these tables into the center for garbage. (laughs) Grimage. (laughs) Do you know what that do you know what I'm talking about? Garbage. What is that? No, I don't know. What is um, it? it was like a Garde Manger. Garde yeah. Manger, yeah, right? that's, that's it. Like, yeah. What the hell is that?
2: So um it's just like it's basically like there's there's in the in the French brigade system mm-hmm. there's this is the ratatouille. Like, oh. this the ratatouille is system? Like Yeah, basically, right. Okay. And um <laughs> Yes, it's the ratatouille system. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh think think uh like low level prep. Okay. So you're you're cutting stuff up, you're taking vegetables from their raw state. To the state at which they are about to be cooked, no, or even perhaps prepare, cooked. preparing your mise en place, preparing your mise en place. Yeah. Thank you, but in but in mostly, the... looks
1: like mostly for for chilled dishes, salads, and things like no, that.
2: I mean, yes, but no. So it, it 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 it's different in every restaurant, but you're mostly correct. Yeah,
1: no, it's Wikipedia's
2: mostly yeah. right. I'm Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, you guys. Everybody sets it. You know, I I come from like a thing where like Grant was like when we were starting to set this up. You know, I was worried that he was gonna like want to buy like a three hundred thousand dollar stove. And when we first started talking about building Linea, because in my mind, that's like, you know, it's like going out and buying a Ferrari. If you're a it makes no sense. You don't need it, you know, and you waste the money on that, not the guest space, you know, that people enjoy. Hmm. And I had another worry. And Grant's like, I just think we invent a whole new kind of stove. (laughs) So it was like, so our garden is a little bit different than than everyone else's.
0: What, uh, well, I don't want to get us, like, too far off the no. episode, but I'm, like, fascinated by this. What are So when you're designing a, a kitchen space, right, which obviously, like—so let's talk about Next, for example, right? So Next, you know building the kitchen that it's got to be pretty dynamic and pretty flexible. What What are some of the considerations? Like, what are you thinking about? Obviously, just yeah, and, and, to, like, flow through the space. Yeah, and, let
2: me be very clear that, like, I don't do that. Okay. So, um, but— but uh, you, having, having, so you know what's, oh no, you, yeah, you yeah know I know mean, we've business. built we've yeah. built four kitchens now and and um, I, I know it very well but it, it's very much Grant had ideas and a lot of those ideas came from a combination of, of working at the French Laundry I mean you want to hear a great story this is this is why I have a hard time with these shows okay, okay. so here's a great Thomas Keller story when we were building Alinea Grant um, worked the he had worked the fish station when he was like 24 years old at the french laundry for two two and a half years right which is in my mind that's the best fish prep station in the country at that time for sure and he's young and he's doing that and he we were trying to figure out the space between our stove and our pass and then we doubled it on the other side. And he wanted to know how many inches it was at the French laundry because you're you know, you're constrained for space and we were at something like thirty-four and a half inches, not something like we were at thirty-four and a half inches. <laughs> and he called Thomas, and I'll never forget this, because like he was in the room and he called Thomas and said, You know, Chef, if you could do me the favor, um, I'm wondering at that space where I stood for those years, how much space there is between the pass and, and the other pass, you know, the on the wall. And without, you know, going and getting a tape measure and hadn't built the kitchen in whatever, 18 years, or whatever, Thomas went 33 and 7 eighths.
1: Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And, oh my God.
2: and I, I was like, we were just starting this process and I was like, that guy knows his shit. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> and and that's how we built our kitchens like Grant went through and I could tell you at Royster we're building right now. And it's a lot of kitchen. I mean, it's there's kitchen everywhere. It's almost like the whole restaurant's a kitchen. That's the concept. And um, I can tell you that we sweated every little detail um, to the point where like one of the things that we noticed was that. On the pass, when chefs are plating things, they're always bent over. And a lot of them get bad backs over the years, right? And so all of those, those counter heights are usually 34 and a half to 36, somewhere in that range. And these we made um, 42 uh, for the center pass. And
0: I would not do well at that counter.
2: <laughs> it's a little high for me actually too but um it's More interesting
1: books for miss your <laughs> right, right yeah
2: just a head sticking up over the, yeah, exactly. over oh. the thing. but you know, but uh you know that's the kind of detail that you go through in designing the kitchens if you're going to be serious about it and it's not right or wrong like there's a million little decisions like that but that's the kind of thing that you know i liked about kwame in this episode is that he went look if we move this We'll have our hot against our hot and our cold against our cold, and that makes sense. Because you know that whoever designed that set was not a chef, and they just like, put it together for aesthetic purposes for the TV cameras. Hmm. And he was like, screw that. Let's, let's move this around. What did it take them, five minutes maybe? And now yeah. they've got a better kitchen. Like That's, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, that, th- I'm glad I asked that because it actually makes me uh, appreciate that, that the intelligence and, and the strategy of doing that even more. Um, what was the, the, my other note was like, I loved, I wrote down Phillips instructions for plating his, uh, strawberry, which I don't think we've even seen this course yet. Have we? The strawberry and champagne salad. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of the food that they were preparing, we haven't seen cause it was the, it's just part one, but it was like Phillips instructions were, uh, so you're going to have a hundred sliced and shingled strawberries. Each order gets two. Then you're going to put sweet and sour onion, already pickled cucumbers, and then the arugula is standing up on top, and then you're going to boil and pickle some beets and the pistachio for the crumble, and then every, all the other chefs at the table are like, whoa, 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 like we're not doing all that shit. But um, there was a
2: great line in there that I noted. I think I forgot exactly what the guy said, but he said we're not going to tweezer-size that or something like that. Tweezer-ize yeah, I, yeah, it yeah. Tweezify it.
0: Tweezify it, twizify yeah. it yeah.
2: which I had never heard, but of course we we tweezeify everything. <laughs> yeah, you guys <laughs> so, kind of invented that. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, you know, again... I look at Philip like that, and I go. It doesn't matter how complicated the dish is, if he actually had almost all that stuff is pre-done. Everything you mentioned there, what it could have been done the day before. You got pickled stuff. You got shingled strawberries put on silk pat, you know, with some saran. That actually isn't so bad relative to what you know to making a terrine, say.
0: Hmm. So and then so Philip goes. So then Kwame goes like. So what can we do? Can we, like, mix the olive squeeze oil and lemon bottle. juice in a yeah, squeeze right. bottle? And uh, Philip goes, uh, if one of my cooks asked me to do that, I tell him to work fucking harder. And, again, I like that.
2: Yeah. That's
1: I know you hate it,
0: but I looked at that, and I was like, finally, some leadership.
1: No, I like this I like this new point of view because Philip has been the the absolute hands-down of the season because uh, he's been cast that way. And in the last couple, three episodes— Uh, he's been, he's been having better luck and it's just, you know, we have such a different view because over these, whatever, eight episodes, we've seen him do these different things. But I I like, I like this point of view.
2: Yeah. So I haven't seen any of that, but like when he said, if one of my chefs asked me to do that, I'd ask him to work harder. That is such an actual line. Like, you know, I can imagine a chef coming up to Grant and going, Hey chef, I'm thinking about doing this. And he's like, I'm thinking you work harder." (laughs) Like that, that. That's what actually happens in kitchens, not the Gordon Ramsay stuff. Right. You know, <laughs> or I'm thinking maybe the the place down the street doesn't give a shit. Why don't you go work there?
0: Right.
3: That that totally makes sense. And I think Philip still doesn't, like, know how to play the game because he, he could have done that maybe. Like, why would you choose to be head of the house then?
2: I I ag- agree that it was a bad game idea. That's, be-
3: that's my thing. Like, he's incredibly talented, and he still doesn't know how to play the game.
0: Right. His people skills are, are, are low, are lacking. Yeah, but does. that's very
2: common in a kitchen. That's why people are, become cooks.
0: Yeah, right, <laughs> right. You like food more than people. Well, there's a there's a great Mark Maron quote <clears throat> that uh, he's talked about, like on his podcast, his like love of cooking, and he says, "I love cooking because it's a way to be the center of attention at a party without really having to do anything or have a good personality." Um, which is, I can you know totally, a lot of people totally relate to that. I, I mean, like with Grant, like Grant
2: is a very shy person and whenever he's you know stressed out or whatever he doesn't like go out drinking or go out to dinner or whatever he goes into the only kitchen and he like does you know he peels you know he peels carrots he does like the most base task in the kitchen and that's where he's that's his comfort thing because he's been doing it since he was four years old and i think that's true of a lot of cooks i think a lot of cooks are actually they think they want to be these rock star people and all that but they're they're not the front of house they're the back of house like they all got stressed out about being front of house right that's way easier way easier than being a cook in my opinion
0: well there is in the game there there is some in the
2: game it should be way easier all you have to do is smile and make it and you know and be warm to people
0: there is some top chef baggage that over the whatever 13 years they've been doing the show like two-thirds of the time the person who does front of house goes away goes home because yeah right it's easy to you know the the they judges can blame it, right? Yeah, yeah right, They take right. the blame for whatever goes wrong. Right. And of course, you're right. Like they engineer these things so service is a nightmare, and then front of house always takes the fall for it. Sure. Um, the other, cla- one of the other like classic Top Chef cliches is no one has ever made a good risotto on Top Chef, just because. That, that was tough to watch it, in it, this one. Why was he doing risotto on Top Chef? Like, if you have ever seen Top Chef, you know that ris- it's like there's a, it's a running joke that there's a curse on risotto, and that if you make it, it's very hard. I'm sure it, it's like it's like being defense against the dark arts teacher. Yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's like it's not going to turn right. out. You, well. you know, it's like it's sitting under the heat lamps getting photographed. I don't know. It's, it's just not a good environment for it. But and what why, he was
2: doing was why just, is
0: he making it the Jeremy's doing risotto the day before. He's like, I'm not going to do it all in minute. The the one thing that's like, you know, uh, that people get burned for
2: it. Just that was painful to watch. That That is not gonna from be a good, cooking perspective. That is not
0: going to be a good risotto. <laughs> All right, let's see. So uh, where did the episode um, uh, ended up? Uh, basically, uh, it's two-parter, so uh, kind of a cliffhanger. Uh, we don't know uh, who did well. The judges said uh, thus far, they said the most interesting thing they ate was Karen's steak salad that she made, that she mm-hmm. created, which I felt like to me that's sort of the sign that this was just a weak execution on the part of the whole all the chefs because – Who goes on a cooking show and makes like a steak salad? Like it's so they had
2: lunch, and so they all dumbed everything down for lunch, which isn't terribly stupid. I mean, that's not a bad thing, but there was definitely nothing creative.
0: Yeah, nothing. There wasn't. There wasn't one dish I'd point to and be like, "That looks amazing. I really want to try making that," or "I really can't wait to eat that." Um, But uh, yeah, I guess we have to wait until we'll wait until next week. I'm actually
2: going to watch the part two too. You're not? I really am. Now you're hooked. I'm (laughs) definitely not hooked. Uh huh. (laughs) But. but, (laughs) You know, I watch Chopped all day long over 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 Top Chef. Um, for me, for my, for my money. But uh, you know, maybe I'm just trying to get like the Chopped gig. I got to be a judge
0: on Chopped someday. I feel like this is an achievable you know life goal for you. I think I hope so. Okay, because I love that show. Let's do like a letter writing campaign. I you know any any anybody's better than this judges they've got. Oof, the oh,
3: son I... of Tom Hanks. Oh my god. <laughs>
1: It's I terrible. didn't even mind him, but like, oh, there's that one guy, the super serious guy with the.
2: Oh, see, I, me, because I want to suck up to them, I'm not going to start ranting about the <laughs> judges. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: what did you? What? Did, uh, any? I'm, I'm just curious. From the Top Chef, you've seen any comments on how the judges talk about the food? Does it feel cruel well, so, or, or, or? No, or, I don't you know.
2: know. So I know I, I've met Bill Shate a few times, and he's a genuinely wonderful guy, and so it was fun to see him on the show this week and um he he's he's just doing so great out there and his family's great he's just a great person you know he reminds me a lot of the Melman family here like they've kind of got a nice corner on la and and they make great products and great restaurants um and um you know i mean colicchio is a real he's real deal like there's absolutely you know a great chef um and has turned it into great tv personality and and he's just a really nice guy and um So, yeah, I don't I think it's interesting because, you know, I once wrote this essay that I I never published because it was a little bit off our tone and whatnot. But I can't blame any chef or any or anybody who goes into TV from the kitchen ever because the kitchen's really hard. I mean, it's a hard life. You're there 12, 14 hours. You're working really hard. I mean, they're amplifying the stress on that show but it's very real because every day it's like being in the theater or something like that. every day's game day Five thirty at night people start walking in the door doesn't matter that your fish delivery didn't come doesn't matter what went wrong you know people are going to show up and they want great food and so it's a high stress environment and you know if somebody can suddenly get on tv and enjoy themselves and they have the personality for it um more power to them you know and if they can do that while still maintaining their restaurants in a really great way and they've created a great team to do that even better
0: i i i'm reminded of uh alex linked us to a podcast it was an interview with uh gail simmons from uh, food and wine magazine who's like a recurring um judge on Mm -hmm. uh, top chef and she was there on the she's actually one of the only people who's been there since the first season like padma wasn't even there in the first season Mm -hmm. And she talks about that one of her regrets is they, the judges on Top Chef, they talk about food from a pretty insider perspective. And they've given sort of American foodies and like food snobs this new vocabulary that they don't really understand to talk about food. So now they'll be in like, you know, Tom will be in his restaurant and you'll hear some diners and they're going like, oh, this dish could use a little more acid, you know, which is like (laughs) if they're cursed by their own, you know, mainstreaming of their own criticism.
2: I mean – you know, people beat on Yelp a lot and everything, but one of my favorite things to do is to read the Yelp reviews for a lineage. Oh,
0: I love, I love that too. I read
2: good... like I own the place with Grant, and <laughs> and there's like I don't I sort from the bottom up because I love to read. I love to read the hate mail. The What's best, your you want know the best? So I'll tell you the best. Well, okay, so my favorite positive review ever, and this is real. Like you can look this up on Yelp, and I wrote the woman a note. She said, no matter how great your date is going, when you go to Alinea for dinner, it'll be the sec- he'll be the second best thing in your mouth that <laughs> night. <laughs> That's a real Yelp review of Alinea. Because <laughs> the black truffle explosion is number one, which I was pretty excited about that review. Um, and then we got a um, – so I, I'm going to tell you not just the, my favorite one, but the format of all of my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. So all the hate mail – um follows a very, very stringent hate mail to a restaurant follows a very stringent kind of rule <laughs> set.
1: They yeah, have they have to stipulate how disappointed they are because they've always had so many good experiences there.
2: No, well that's close. But first what they have to do is they, they, they say like, I went to your restaurant and I was you know, something was awful. Like you know, the whole thing was awful or it was really bad or whatever. And then they they immediately have to qualify themselves as an expert in two things. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: whatever it is that they do for a living personally, like, you know, I am a world famous doctor from London mm-hmm. and I've eaten at these five really awesome restaurants <laughs> that put yours to shame. <laughs> those that is absolutely second paragraph. It's like a rubric <sighs> and that's the second paragraph. Then the third paragraph goes through in detail some way in which they felt um, offended or slighted or whatever. Um, and certainly like some of those are valid. And if they are, we, We correct it you know i mean when when there's we kind of know when when something's gone wrong we know before they do and we do our best to to acknowledge it and correct it but the best one we've ever gotten followed exactly that rubric and he bought us a really beautiful edition of the emperor's new clothes like the children's book oh boy in purple like very and it was very is a british letter and it was very very proper and had his whole address and you know on really beautiful stationery and all that. So we have that framed in our office along with the book and all that. We frame our hate mail.
0: <laughs> I um so I have a favorite bad review of uh, next. So oh you do I, I do so and I, you remember it I do that's I re- amazing. It's not my review. It's just one right, I, read right, right, right. I just like sure. read somewhere. So uh, I went to this year. I went to Japan. Oh you and you actually sent me. Uh, Chef uh, uh restaurant recommendations yes. in Japan, which some of the best food we had there, and um, I mean,
2: it's, Japan's amazing. Yes,
0: I mean, you really can't go wrong. But he, some of those little places that he recommended. Thank you for for doing that because that was uh, you should post those up. Can I? Yeah, I I didn't want mean, to, I didn't want to do it, but have uh, that. All right, I will. Um, yeah, I mean, some amazing like deep cuts and some weird places on there. Yeah, uh, but uh, so we went to. So one of the things I've heard is when you go to Kyoto, you're basically supposed to go to the nicest kaiseki you can afford. And we did. We went to a three Michelin star Kaiseki place that caters to the emperor. I mean, this was our, like, blowout crazy yes. meal in Japan where we were like, this is it. We're here. We're doing it. Yep. And I am just – I was just not equipped as a Westerner to understand intellectually or t- from a taste profile uh, point of view what was happening with the Kaiseki. It was just sort of this, like, endless, upsetting, confusing uh, – <laughs> Well, and they look
2: – and, and you're a Gaijin. Like you are a, a filthy, awful foreigner who is uh, not meant to understand the shame, these, and nor can your capacity cannot. The shame
0: yes. that we brought upon this restaurant that yes. <laughs> they are still recovering from. Yes, I'll, yes. I'll just say one, I'll just say one story about it, uh, which was uh, there was like an eel dish, and they, it must have been in season because Kaseki is very much about like seasonality. We just kept getting this. This eel kept coming out, and it was not good. It was this inside out eel, and it was very, it was sort of grainy and and bitter. Oh, they only give that to the foreigners.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, it's possible. Uh, But it was like, Kaseki is also about, uh, like, as packing as much umami as you can into food with no salt and no fat. So it's just, like, the pure ingredient, uh, uh, you know, experience of it. So, so it's ultra-traditional, like, regimented, multi, multi-course meal. This eel cups coming out, and we were like, we don't know what to do with it. We're like, I'm t- I don't want to eat more of this No eel. more we're like, eel. We're, like, hiding it yeah, in yeah, pots. We yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> were like, what do we do with this? We're sending it back at a certain point, which is, you're not, clearly not supposed to do that. And uh, we later, like, went and researched everything and looked it up, and it turns out this eel... It's not really, it's extremely rare and expensive and it's not really eaten because it has these pin bones that can't be removed. So a chef will prepare the eel for an entire, like, day cutting millimeter by millimeter cuts on it and then they sort of quick pickle it almost to, like, dissolve the bones. And we were just getting big, luxurious, like, absurd wax of it yeah yes. like like pieces of this eel right. and just like sending it back into the kitchen i'm sure that guy had yeah, to commit spent seppuku like days, yeah. days getting the bones <laughs> yeah, the dissolved she, properly the, the chef you. just handed him the eel knife and he's like you've brought great shame upon our yes. restaurant but uh so anyway on the way back from the kaiseki we were like what the hell did we just eat because we had not looked into it in advance and i googled kaiseki and i was like i gotta learn something about this sure enough next has done a kaiseki menu and I pull up, I'm Googled, now I wonder what, if we just ate anything that was on the Next menu, because I didn't, I didn't have this at Next. First review of Next is a guy complaining that there was some sort of eel or tuna or something dish. And he's like, it was seasoned, it was a Japanese guy who was like, I went to Next to have this kaiseki and it was terrible. And it was seasoned so aggressively that it tasted like a Dorito. And I was <laughs> thinking to myself, really that's the highest compliment you can play to food is to say <laughs> I had it and it was as good as a Dorito because they I'm sell sure a was, lot of Doritos yeah no, I but don't. I'm sure that was like the best Kaiseki that's ever been put forward because it was like seasoned to a uh, Western palates uh, well
2: you know so here's the thing we can't with next I mean we get this a lot and people say is it authentic no <laughs> nothing we do there is authentic because we are not like when we do modern Chinese we're not a uh, we're not an old Sicilian woman grandmother <laughs> and we're not a Chinese guy um, who's been cooking Chinese food for 60 years It's our interpretation of the cornerstones of that without Disney-fying it. We're not trying to do Disney, Epcot Center food. We're not trying to make that experience. We're trying to take our point of view and our chef's point of view and the service point of views and highlight what we think are the interesting pieces of any world cuisine. And it should be fun and delicious. And that's about it. Like, we're not trying to go for authentic, authentic. Now, we do everything great. Like, we, you know we jump through every hoop we just put you know i don't know how many thousands of pounds of cheese from from this little town in France on boats oh, to get and here and cheese was so it's good. so good right yeah and so we we source everything for months and months and months and but it's not authentic i mean it can't be
0: yeah well i think the i think the i think the experience comes through i think just the the care and the love and uh the f- Fun also that you guys have with it. It's like not this joyless, you yeah, know, Yeah, fun uh, and
2: delicious is, is the key to any restaurant. And that's yeah. and that's kind of going back to your top chef thing here. Where was the fun here? Yeah, they didn't look like they were having any fun. Mm-hmm. Those, there was no fun. Those meals looked like they were panicking, which they were right.
0: But it's not fun. Yeah, like you even if you weren't having fun, make it look like you're having fun and yeah. you win. Um. All right. I think we I think this is a good point to stop. Otherwise, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about restaurants for the rest of our lives. I will not be here next week, uh, Merlin. I'm. Uh, I uh, uh, me and my friend uh, Kevin Pang are uh, taking a class at Hot Dog University at the Vienna Beef uh, Hot Dog University. So it's a two day course. Where they we're gonna have learn. that. You wanna come? That sounds so good. So my. It? Oh, you're in uh, Miami. I am. I'm gonna be in Miami for our pop up. Uh, well, maybe you and Grant should go. Uh, it's uh, Monday and Tuesday. They teach it. I love Vienna pure beef hot dogs. Dude, you get you get certified as a Vienna Beef hot dog technician. You get a degree from Hot Dog University. <sighs> You get, you get to wholesale like ingredients and carts and stuff. Like this is a dream. This is a big dream of mine. I've wanted to go to hot dog. I think I've talked about it on this show how much I really want to go to I, hot dog, I, dog I university. You also mentioned you want to go to hamburger dogs. university someday. We're, we're working on that. Are you working on it? Yeah, I've
3: got some ins Merlin. Oh, we, man. things are happening.
0: Yeah, but I just I where I, on, is hamburger university? That's McDonald's like corporate. Oh, that training. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, uh, Hot Dog University is uh, achievable. Kevin is, uh, he's uh, writing uh, a little piece about it uh, for a magazine, and uh, I get to uh, come and do the class with him. That's amazing. I'm very excited. So I'll I'll report back what I learned, but uh, I will not be here uh, next week. So you and Alex will have to discuss the uh, exciting conclusion to Restaurant Wars. You're going to see the sausage factory, literally. Literally going to see how the sausage is made, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
3: This is Top Chef, he's not Top scallops.